Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. So Michael, you, uh, you made me think about something. You know what a frequency shift is? When a, when a train goes by and it's, you can hear it in the distance and it gets closer and then it goes and, and the sound changes. That, that's that's kind of what I'm hearing as you said there was a frequency shift. That, that not only is it more frequent, but it's louder. And it's changing. And it's moving. That's, that's what's happening in the body of Christ. As we look to, man, <laughs> the land. God picked a specific spot. And he said, this is mine. <laughs> we just went past May 14th, right? Anybody know what that date is? The date right after the 13th and right before the 15th. I know, but what's May 14th? Mm, that's the day after Passover? Maybe I got the date wrong, but isn't that... Yeah, it's when Israel became a nation again. May 14th, 1948. It's huge. It is Jerusalem Day, correct, tomorrow. I don't either. So I shouldn't even have brought it up. You never ask questions that you don't know the answer to in a class, right? Well, let's get started. Tonight, we are continuing our study in this book, called The End of Me. And it's a, a book by Kyle Eidelman. And I wanted to just do a, a quick review of where we've been. So we started out with, with looking at a beatitude, or a beatitude. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. And that one said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That was the first week. And the example in that week, we looked at a passage of Scripture where uh, a lady of the street came in to a Pharisee's house and <laughs> broke right into the, the, the time that Jesus was there and poured out her flask of perfume on his feet and washed them with her tears. And the example from that week was a lady in Louisville that God had called to a strip club ministry to speak to the the ladies that were there just to love on them. And in showing the love of Jesus, they got saved. Their lives were changed. But they were, you know, you could say that's poor in spirit. And then last week we looked at Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it just seems like, I mean, it's kind of an oxymoron that in the middle of the worst trial that you have ever gone through, you come closest to knowing God. If you've ever been in that valley and you know what that's like, you just you can't even see up. When you're there, God's right there beside you 
and it changes everything in your perception of what he's like. And so I, I can really relate to blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that was, that was last week. So tonight, I hope everybody got a handout. If you didn't, put a hand up. And Max will be glad to give you one. We're on the third week, and our topic this week is authentic to be accepted. So I'm going to start with a story from Kyle's book, which I think is a pretty good one, and then then we'll kind of launch from there. When my grandfather died, I went home for the funeral. I took with me some dress slacks that I needed to have clean for the visitation. Driving around, I found a place called One Hour Cleaners. That sounded perfect because I needed those slacks that very evening. I walked into the laundry. I walked in with my laundry on a coat hanger and smiled at the woman behind the counter. I'm from out of town, and I'm really glad to find this place, I said. One Hour Cleaners, right? Yes, sir. That's us. Just to make sure we're on the same page, you can do these pants, right? Of course we can, sir. So, I can leave them with you right now, then I can go get some other things done, and then come back and pick them up in an hour or so. Well, no, sir, she said, squinting as if I'd said something odd. But you can pick them up tomorrow. Um, but your sign says one-hour cleaners. I pointed to the window to substantiate my charge. She chomped her gum a few times and then said, yeah, but we don't clean clothes in one hour. (laughs) Then shouldn't your business be called next day cleaners or whenever it's done cleaners? She chewed her gum and squinted at me. Clearly, this was a strange new request by a customer. Laundry back in an hour from one-hour cleaners? What will they be demanding next? I tried discussing it with her, always politely, from several angles, hoping we could at least enjoy the irony of it together. But she saw some nothing remarkable about the situation. I wanted to say, I don't think those words mean what you think they mean. This was my hometown. Maybe I'd been away too long and the language had evolved while I was gone. Or maybe it was just another case of false advertising. Nobody likes it when someone advertises one thing and delivers another, commercially or otherwise. The outside of the establishment could give us an accurate expectation of what we'd find on the inside. So you got the picture. One-hour cleaners was not really one-hour cleaners. He was severely disappointed. But now, let's take that and point it to us. Not that we all run cleaning businesses. But do we ever have something on the outside, the way we appear, or we want to appear, And it's really not true at all. So here was a t-shirt. It said, may your life someday be as great as you pretend it is 
on Facebook. Does that ring true with anybody? So you post a picture of date night with my lovely wife. That's true, but you would never take a picture and say, morning argument with my wife. Even though it may happen, you don't post pictures of it. You don't promote it on Facebook. You don't promote on Facebook, we're at the beach, but we're all arguing about what we're going to do. I want to sit in a a chair along the beach and do nothing. The kids want to go here. Those aren't Facebook pictures, are they? So the appearance that we give may be totally different than the reality that we live. And that is really where this beatitude that we're going to hit tonight is headed. This is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. We've skipped ahead a few. So Matthew 5, 8 reads this way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's a lot to unpack in that very few words. So just a question, and this is probably going to be a rhetorical question because nobody's going to answer me, but what does it mean to be real or authentic? Same every day. Same every day. I'm not going to live up to that one because I'm seldom the, the same every day, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. She said we should produce fruit every day, and that's good. Anybody else want to answer that question? What does it mean to be real or authentic? Genuine. Honest. Vulnerable. Good. Just a second. Am I not loud enough? No. Okay, sorry. Um, Like if you had something that was real gold, the entire thing would be made of gold. But if you just had something that was gold-plated, just the surface would be gold, so you wouldn't be able to say that this is real gold. It would have to be uh, advertised as gold-plated or something like that. Authentic? Yes, yes, it is, George. But how many times have you seen something that says real gold when you go to one of those places on vacation (laughs) and you want to buy a trinket? Or you get to go to that place where you get to pan for your own gold and it says, yeah, it's real gold. It's real fool's gold is what it is. It's probably not even gold-plated, George. It's probably just fake. But we try to make it look good, don't we? The shinier it looks, the better it is, the better impression we make on people. So, at some point in our lives, we probably all worked somewhere. Have you ever been in a meeting at work, and somebody says to you, can you do this? And you know that you've never done that before. And you have no clue how to do it, 
But you're never, ever going to tell your boss or a coworker, oh, no, I don't know how to do that. You just say, no problem, I'll take care of it. So you don't want to look bad in front of your coworkers or your boss, right? I'm not asking for a raise of hands on this one, but, you know, you just, you want to put that best foot forward. You've got your best vacation picture out on Facebook. Or, here's, here's another one. When I was growing up, the big thing that families would do is they would send out their Christmas newsletter. Does this ring a bell with anybody? And, and in that letter, you would tell all the magnificent things that the kids had done, that the dog had learned this, you know, that magically a new car appeared in our driveway. And then they had a picture of a Christmas tree that probably was taken somewhere else, but photoshopped to look like it was at your house. I mean, you, this Christmas letter was so exaggerated, and you never said, oh, our car broke down, I lost my job. Uh, that's not Christmas letter material, is it? <laughs> it's real material, but it isn't Christmas letter material. And so we always, always want to make our, put our best foot forward in front of everybody. That is neither real nor authentic. So, Debbie? If, if you are being real with them, though, you will tell them the truth. Thank you. She said, if you're real with them, you will tell them the truth. Now, maybe for me, it'd be better not to send the Christmas letter <laughs> and just say, oh, we didn't write a letter this year because this was a challenging year. But you know what? Sometimes, in the middle of that, I don't want to be vulnerable, as Gary said earlier, some other person is going to say, you know what? I've been in the same place. I've had the same thing happen. I've experienced that same thing. I don't know what to do. And now it's good to know there's two of us, at least, that have had that situation. And so when the beatitude says, blessed are the pure in heart, I would substitute the word maybe authentic or real. But are we willing... And I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm not good at this one. I'm really not. Because in that work situation, I'll probably say in my, you know, to myself, well, I don't know how to do it, but I'll learn how, because I will never admit I don't know how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so now there's two of us, right? Okay. <laughs> so can you, can you sense when someone is not being authentic or real with you. Can you have a conversation and you just know that this isn't really what's going on? In fact, how many times do we walk in the door of the church and someone says, how are you doing today? And what do you say? Great, fine. Some people say, never better. Hanging in there, that's, that's more real and authentic. Now sometimes, let me give you a warning here. Real and authentic does not necessarily mean blunt <laughs> because some people take real to be, I can say whatever I want. Yeah, temper that just a little bit. That's not the purpose of this beatitude. 
<laughs> and my wife is smiling at me. Um, <laughs> I'm just being real with you. Okay. You can see where we're going. Real, authentic. And, and we can spot it probably a mile away, can't we? When somebody's being neither real nor authentic. It's just like having the sign that says one hour cleaners when they in fact know that it's one day cleaners. So, why is it important to God? Why would he put something like that in the Beatitudes and say, blessed, happy, to be praised are the people that are pure in heart? Well, we're going to unpack that just a little bit tonight, and we're going to look at it from a couple different angles. But we're going to watch a video tonight of of a gentleman by the name of Jefferson Bethke. This is our third video. And he tells his story, and it's, you have to pay attention. The first time I watched, I wish we could just watch it twice. Because the first time I watched it, it was like, yeah, okay. Then I watched it again. Oh, yeah, okay. And then I watched it again, I was like, oh, now I really get what he's saying. So watch, engage with what he's saying because there's really a lot here as you watch. And I will tell you, on, on this sheet that you were given tonight, there is a link um, right above the scriptures. If, if you look on the sheet, let me help you find it. You see where it says Matthew 5, 8? So right above that and to the right, there is a YouTube link. And now let me tell you, this will be out on the BWC Equip Series Facebook page. The beauty of opening a document like this in Microsoft Word is you can take your mouse, hold down the control key, click on that, YouTube link and it will open it up for you in your internet browser so you don't have to type it in. See, now you learned something tonight. <clears throat> anyway, so if you open that document on the Facebook page, you can go right to that link. I really debated about watching this tonight in class, but I thought, no, you know what? I want you to go watch it this week. After you watch Jefferson's story tonight, I'd like you to go watch this at home. So there it is on the page. Okay, now you all know where it's at. And you all know that we have this Facebook page where I'm going to put several resources out there after class tonight that I'd like you to take a look at. Some pictures that I didn't have a, ch a chance to get ready for tonight. So, yeah, let's, let's watch the video. And uh, listen, engage. Think about what he's saying. Did I mention earlier I don't have this one all figured out yet? <laughs> I, I can probably bet that uh, there's probably nobody in the room that would hold their hand up and say, yep, I got this one down, let's go on. Because um, it's really, really tough to put yourself out there and be vulnerable. It's very difficult to be transparent if you're afraid about what happens when you become transparent. 
So I, I found this quote from Oswald Chambers, who wrote, uh, what, Upmost for His Highest? Um, According to the Bible, the heart is the center, the center of physical life, the center of mercy, the center of damnation and salvation, the center of God's working and the devil's working, and the center from which everything works, which molds the human mechanism. The heart is not merely the seat of affections. It is the center of everything. The heart is the central altar, and the body is the outer court. What we offer on the altar of the heart will ultimately tell through the extremities of the body. I thought, wow, <laughs> that's, that's a really, really good quote. <sighs> so pure in heart, what does that word pure mean? So products on the marketplace say they're 99 0.99% pure. What was that? Irish soap? Is that the one? Oh, sorry. So it was really, really close to 100%. Pure. What does that mean, pure? So <laughs> my daughter used to do this, but Kyle tells a story in the book. He said that one of their favorite um, pastimes for the kids in the neighborhood was to play what they called the blender game. Julianne's going, ugh. Yeah, so the blender game is you take whatever you want from the kitchen cupboard and you put it in a blender and you blend it up. And Kyle's mother said, okay, you can play the blender game, guys. Here's two rules. It has to be edible. And he said, well, shaving cream was kind of right on the edge of that. Is it edible or not? So it couldn't have rocks or dirt or glass or anything like that in it. But it had to be edible. And when you were done, you had to eat at least one bite of whatever it is you mixed up. The blender game. Pure? No. But what does God mean by pure in heart? Well, if you look up the word in, in the Greek, it says clean. It defines itself with its own word. It says pure. Okay, well, that's, that doesn't help much. Uh, in a spiritual sense, clean or pure from the pollution or guilt of sin. Okay, that's getting better. But then if you go further and you look at the root word of that word in the Greek, kataros, you get another word. And that word is defined as sincere. Okay, so for me, I heard the best definition of sincere. It's actually made up of two, two Latin words, sine seros, literally meaning without wax. And you may have heard me tell this story, but the way the honest pot vendors of Jesus' day would advertise their business was that their pots were sine seros without wax. Well, what the, the shysters, they would make a pot, and the pot would have a small defect in it, and it would leak. It would be a leaker. And so what they would do to fix the problem was to take some beeswax and put it in that crack, and for, you know, two or three months, the pot was good. 
And then when that beeswax dried out, on your shelf at home, whatever was in the pot was running down the shelf, making a mess. So the good guys would, they would advertise, hey, our, our pots are sine seras. They are without wax. We're the real deal. You can believe us when we say we are pure. Does that get a little closer to what the word means? So going a little bit further. Something, here's the definition that I got from, from Strong's. Something that has been cleansed by shaking to or fro as in a sieve. Have you ever taken a sieve and you put different size particles in it and you shake it? And what you got, what falls through are the small stuff and what's left is the big stuff. That's the way a sieve works. Or winnowing, like you would, like you would be out on the threshing floor. Sine seras, pure in where? Heart. And, and I read you that quote from, from uh, Oswald Chambers. So, Kyle talked a little bit about this. I have my own experience. We didn't have sticky stars on a chart. Growing up, we had Sunday school perfect attendance pins. And some of you that grew up Baptist know exactly what that's all about, right? So my family was featured on the cover of Baptist Bulletin one year because we had the most perfect attendance pins of anybody known to man. Well, maybe not quite that much. It was close. I mean, my dad's perfect attendance pins, he'd have it clipped on his shirt and those puppies would be clear down here and they're only this big. My mom was just a little bit shy of that and because I was, you know, only a grade schooler, I didn't have quite as many. <laughs> so I can relate to, you know, that's performance. And if you think of any group in Jesus' time, you would think of what group? The Pharisees, right? And so in, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, and... and um, it, it, it talks a little bit about how they show that, that they're, they're really, really good Pharisees. In fact, the book of Matthew, Jesus starts out with the Beatitudes, and he says what? Blessed, happy. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Matthew in chapter 23, what does he say? Woe. Not as in woe. He says I'm pronouncing doom and gloom on you, Pharisees. And if there was any religious group that Jesus would have been affiliated with, it would have been the Pharisees. They were the law keepers. What's wrong with keeping the law? Absolutely nothing. What's wrong with taking the law and saying, oh, this is good. This must really be better if we can do even this. Instead of fasting one day a week, I'm going to fast three days a week. And I'm going to put it out on Twitter. And in fact, I'm going to get a blinking neon sign that says I'm fasting. So everybody knows that I'm fasting. How would the Pharisees make it known that they were really religious? Well, the, in chapter 23 of Matthew, it says, But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and they lengthen the tassels of their garments. What are phylacteries? 
It's a little box, at least that's how it started out, and it would be on the forehead, and it would be strapped to the left arm. And in that box would be quotes from Deuteronomy. So, probably in there would be the prayer called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. That's what it would say. And then, then it would have another prayer called the Shemone Esrei, which is 18 prayers. The good thing about being Jewish is that all your prayers are written out. If anybody wants to see a Jewish prayer book, I've got one up here. All the prayers that you need are right here. Just keep in mind they start in the back because Hebrew reads back to front. So, <laughs> But the phylactery started out as a little box. Well, what do you suppose happened over time? The little box got to be a bigger box and a bigger box and it got more ornate. And then the other piece of that, this is a talit, this is a prayer shawl, but here's the tassels that that scripture's talking about. And so the longer the tassel, the more spiritual you were. And if, in, in fact, if you see Orthodox Jewish men in Israel or anywhere today, they will have hanging out of their pants what's called tzitzit. It's, it's those, those tassels that are sticking out. In fact, it's actually another piece of clothing, kind of like long underwear that you put under your clothes and those tassels hang off of it. So people know how religious you are. And that's what Jesus is saying. That didn't work. That didn't work at all. So let's look at this a different way. <laughs> Nobody wants to look bad in front of their friends, do they? But Jesus says, what? Blessed are the pure in heart. They are literally unmixed with the things of the world and they are sincere. And I'm frustrated because we're out of time and there's so much more to cover here, but blessed are the pure in heart. Let me, let me encourage you on this sheet. Go watch Jefferson Bethke's video. It's four and a half minutes. And, the, and the, the YouTube address is on there. So here's some questions for this week. In your own words, how would you describe having a pure heart? In what ways are you sometimes inauthentic with other people's? <laughs> other people. Think of a time when you confessed a sin to God and or another person, and then how did you feel after that? feel free? Do you feel like you were blessed? Because that's what Jesus is saying. It's not about the sticky stars. It's not about the length of the tassels on your garment. It's not about the size of the phylacteries. It flips it on the inside out. It's not what you see. It's what's buried inside here that Jesus says is most important. Blessed are the pure in heart. 
So there, there, there was a TV show, and I don't remember this one. It's called Faking It. Is anybody old enough to remember this one? Where people would actually learn how to take on a different identity. So, for instance, uh, a guy who was a real estate developer became a cowboy. Uh, a lady who was a total geek became an NFL cheerleader. A guy who was a carpenter from a small town became a Beverly Hills interior designer. And the whole plot of the show was, could the judges pick out the fact that this person was real and this person was a fake? The one show I remember was What's My Line? Now now I'm really dating myself, but some of you are nodding because in the dark recesses of your mind you remember the show. Can you spot the fake? Let me tell you, Jesus can spot the fake. He knows what's on the inside. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. That's awesome. I don't use that word very often. But when it comes to God, I use it. That's awesome. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you have challenged us tonight. At least I pray, Lord, that you've challenged us tonight. Let the words in my mouth and the meditations in my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer, change me, Lord, from the inside out so that I might be able to be, as you've said, pure in heart. Thank you, God. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time.